This is Defender Radio. Michael Howey, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. Wolves are iconic, majestic, and absolutely essential apex predators. But what do Canadians across the country think about wolves? That was the primary question driving a survey developed by Drs. Valley Laurent, Fraser Celine, and Stephanie Rutherford in conjunction with the Fur Bearers earlier this year. The final report, titled The Social Landscape of Wolves in Canada, a National Survey, revealed fascinating results, some of which were quite unexpected by us. To dive into the survey results, what we can learn from them, and how this information can impact advocacy, conservation, and protection for wolves in Canada, Drs. Valley Laurent Fraser Celine and Stephanie Rutherford join Defender Radio. As the man said, let's begin at the beginning. Um, and talk about the survey of Canadians about wolves and perception of wolves. It was a very exciting uh, survey to be a part of, I got to say, from the beginning through to seeing the results and the write-ups that were done. But to start, let's talk a bit about what the goal of doing this survey was, or the goals, I should say. Um, and I'm not sure who wants to begin. I can't even point because you're you're in different locations <laughs> on my screen. Valley, why don't we start with you? Uh how would you yeah. describe the, the aim of the survey? What were we looking to learn? Well, we, you know, as our conversations were happening with the fur bearers, you know, we realized that there wasn't a national survey of perceptions of wolves in Canada. There are some, you know, studies in, in regional areas and pockets of Canada, but we really don't know overall what Canadians think about wolves or how they feel about wolves. Uh, especially now in, in 2023, where, you know, we are talking more about climate change and wildlife protection. And, um, you know, wolves have always been a contentious species. They've always mm -hmm. been very um, divisive in terms of uh, different groups of people and how they feel about wolves. So we really wanted to understand how Canadians uh perceive wolves and and also what they know about wolves as well we we have no idea what canadians actually know about wolves and and wolf behavior and um whether or not they engage in any sort of livestock depredation um you know caribou hunting all that stuff so it was really important for us i think to get to capture um kind of that social landscape as we've been calling it of of what canadians think about wolves that was definitely an interesting thing to realize I, I recall those conversations and wanting to understand how we can help and where are the gaps and everything and then learning how little we know about what canadians think of wolves was surprising and as you said they're a very uh, divisive or contentious animal at times but they're also very iconic and i mean how many sweaters do you see in a week depending on where you live with a wolf on the back of it uh, or denim with a wolf on the back of it again depending on where you live um, and the quality of said wolf on the back of said item of clothing. But nonetheless, um, it was surprising, I think, some of the results of the survey that ultimately came out. And let's I think there were sort of three main areas then, uh, as per our infographics, that we ended up kind of looking at. Uh, Stephanie, do you want to speak a little bit to sort of what those those distinct categories were? 
Um, well, I hope I have the same categories as you do. Uh, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, well, I mean, so, so in terms of, you know, this question, there were a few of these key takeaways, right? So, so you correct me if I'm talking about the same, if I'm not talking about the same thing. Um, there was, uh, you know, do what do what are the overall feelings about wolves? Like, do people mm -hmm. consider them to be iconic? Do people consider them to be an important um, member of our Canadian ecosystems? And the numbers around that I found surprisingly high. Um, you know, and and this is because of the knowledge gap that that Bali was talking about, right? There's all this research in the United States and in Europe. Um, that has measured attitudes toward wolves. And then we have this big blank slate in Canada. And so I was kind of predicting, and Valley was also, um, that the data that we got back would be similar to the American or the European case. Um, and it wasn't, like it just seemed way higher um, than, than uh, we could have predicted, right? And mm -hmm. so I think that was, that was a huge surprise. Um, in terms of, Valley, do you want to talk about the next oh, infographic? The livestock depredation. Yeah, that was a, that was interesting as mm -hmm. well. The livestock depredation. Um, so, you know, we, we were, I think, anticipating that, you know, most people would think that, that wolves were a threat to, to livestock. Um, although, you know, we really don't know at the end of the day, how many livestock are, um, being, uh, predated on by wolves. So that's another really interesting, um, you know, finding that that we found in Canada. I mean, we have some stats from the states that, you know, can give us maybe an idea, but obviously we know that our landscape, agricultural landscape is very different than the U.S. Um, but, you know, in the U.S., they, it's a very, very, very small number of cattle population are, are killed by wolves compared to you know, cattle dying from ill health or weather or anything else. Um, and that's something that, you know, we thought people would have um, a very strong opinion about. And, you know, they do they do think that this is occurring uh, regardless of their attitudes towards wolves. So I think that's something that we could really uh, focus on, you know, in future studies is really trying to understand how, you know, how much livestock is actually being predated on by wolves. Um, and that can really, I think, inform um, the way that we manage cattle or other and other livestock animals, uh, you know, any sort of human wildlife coexistence strategies as well. And also I think it could, you know, when you have those stats, I think those perceptions can change over time as well. Um, so that was one of the, the, the key findings I think that we and uh, that we were thinking about and, and wanted to know about. So, yeah, and I, I think that can really inform um, livestock and wolf, you know, quote unquote, management as well. Yeah, I, I was really interested in that. I remember hearing a speaker, uh, Louise Leibenberger um, from, uh, oh, I can't remember the name. She was a uh, sheep rancher in Alberta and uh, spoke about that very issue at a, uh, a conference at one time saying that people continue to say, well, we have to manage wolves and coyotes because they're responsible for all of these livestock deaths. Canada still doesn't have that data, which I find alarming. And in the U.S., as you noted, where they do have it, it's actually a very small percentage. And 
all of these uh, uh, farmed animals are far more likely to be injured through disease, neglect, uh, acts of nature in the field where they're grazing, all, all kinds of other issues far before uh, depredation. And there's also a great number of, um, out of uh, Idaho, it was, uh, a great article looking at preventing wolves from accessing livestock. And they found it's, it's actually, it's not simple, I won't say that, but it's straightforward. There's a lot of straightforward solutions that are applicable, and all that's necessary is to slightly rotate them or pivot from time to time so wolves don't get used to them. The same if you're used to having mm -hmm. a dog around who is used to you coming in the front door and then one day you come in a different door and their yeah. mind's just blowing. It's, it's the same kind <laughs> of, you gotta keep yeah. them on their toes. But on that note, one of the, uh, the questions was, how, or what are the primary ways you learned about wolves? And almost half Canadians learned about wolves through media, social media, movies, TV shows. Do we think that contributes then to these misunderstandings, specifically about the depredation? And we'll get into the other issues. But is it that, you know, we're watching Yellowstone uh, on <laughs> our TVs and then just sort of assuming, and I've never seen it, so I could be very wrong. I apologize to Kevin Costner. Um, but... Is it possible that we're seeing this or we're reading the old Westerns? Like I grew up watching Westerns and the wolves were just bad. Always video games, wolves are bad. They're easy to set up as bad. Uh, and in folklore, they're bad. How much of that then is, or do we think could be indicating or, or leading Canadians to have not wrong perceptions, but very prescribed perceptions, I suppose. What do you think? You're the, yeah. the wolf historian. I feel like you have some <laughs> good perceptions on this, good good opinions on that. It's an interesting question for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is an interesting question. I think, I mean, there is certainly a long history um, across a range of different media um, that depicts wolves as like bloodthirsty, but also cowardly. I mean, it's this weird kind of way in which um, this keystone predator gets talked about. And so in my own work, I looked at all of these stories that had been written in the early 1900s about wolves and, and all of them were sort of along those lines, like wolves were always evil and people were always good. And mm -hmm. the story gets resolved when people kill wolves. Um, I think those media depictions have changed and maybe become slightly more complex, but I think even in kind of like newspaper reporting and, and factual media reporting, um, often like wolf predation is uh, sensationalized, right? And so there can be a kind of takeaway from that effort at sensationalization um, to imagine that wolves are always necessarily predators, right? Or they're always necessarily gonna eat your cows if they're left out on the range or, mm -hmm. or whatever sort of issue you wanna talk about. And so people become very fearful, I think. Um, about what might happen if they were to to encounter a wolf when in fact, you know, the chances of encountering a wolf are so slim. Like I spent 10 years doing um, research about wolves and never once encountered a wolf in the wild, right? So, so yeah, I don't think, I think that their media can be very helpful. It can um, open people's eyes, you know, to stories that they haven't seen before. Uh, and it can help people to connect to all sorts of fur bearers, not just wolves. Um, but there's also a flip side to that, the way in which the, the narrative is often either sensational or, or polarizing, I think can um, lead people to think less complex thoughts about the, the animals we share space with. That's a really interesting way of putting it, less complex thoughts, because it, it's very hard 
to tell someone they're wrong or it's you know you want to say hey you're dumb you don't know what you're talking about uh in the social media age but i like the way you put it as it's they're having less complex thoughts about wolves because it's not that they are intentionally doing something but it is allowing the knowledge to get stopped or capped at a certain point and going okay that's what they are put it in its category off to the side and mm -hmm. i think that's true of so many things in our world right now where we we almost sort of choose to go well that's all i need to know the end mm -hmm. um and, and as you're saying i think too uh wolf walkers uh which i, I hope you've seen uh the yeah. animated yeah I, I interviewed the uh the creator of it and it is a remarkably beautiful story that tells the story of wolves in that complex way that shows mm -hmm. them as these really deep personalities with different needs and wants and social structures and how important it is then to have that because again i i look at dogs playing and think i mean that's how i got into this work was reading about coyotes and using mm -hmm. what i knew about dog behavior at the time and thinking that doesn't make sense what they're saying and then starting to ask the questions uh that led right. me to here um but yeah it's it's a really interesting I, that's gonna keep me up tonight way to go um <laughs> i think that social media just doesn't also allow specifically for you know complex nuances as well especially if you're thinking about you know this push toward you know the reels and you know you have to get a hook within five seconds or people's you know minds wander yeah. and and so it is very much i think portrayed as a it can be a very much a, a black and white very high level understanding of of behavior and then it you know it's often up to the person if they want to learn more to to dig into it a little bit more but you know that the social media can be great i've learned you know all about vegetable gardening <laughs> through instagram but you know i don't <laughs> i i am not learning you know potentially not learning you know very complex um nuances yeah. in you know human wolf relationships through social media so i think that can also contribute to you know people's kind of high level understanding or 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 reinforcing certain beliefs that they may already hold as well so yeah, that's that's very interesting, too, because we look at one of the stats that we got was 83 percent of Canadians believe wolves are important members of Canadian ecosystems and should be protected. So there is an overall knowledge or acceptance of the information that as a keystone species, specifically as an apex predator, their role on the landscape is vital. And if you read anything about ecosystems and, and uh, uh, interacting organisms, um, without that top level it all starts to fall apart and we see that we're seeing that happen in cities all over the place we're seeing it happen where we have uh extirpated wolves and other apex predators so i guess it, it in one hand i read a vast majority like a significant number of people agreeing on something 83 percent when you spend enough time with surveys 83 percent is pretty wow um uh and at the same time we then look at policy reaction and all of that um, we see people in uh, uh, national parks, uh, you know, leaving garbage out, wolves come in, wolves then are, you know, Parks Canada, from what I can tell, do their best to try and prevent this, but then end up in the position where they feel they have to uh, kill an animal because it has learned to approach people or it has become too comfortable near human settlement. Um, we have resource extraction that is driving all kinds of habitat fragmentation and ecosystem collapse. And the best example is the, the caribou and wolf cull. Um, so, and, and on that note, 68% of Canadians believe that killing wolves is wrong, even if it's done to save another species.
So reading those stats, it would appear that, well, Canadians agree wolves are good. We need them. We should protect them. And even if they're harming another species, we probably shouldn't interfere. But then when we look at our actual policies, we look at our actual legislation and actions, it's much different, in my opinion. Is that something that is perhaps new? I mean, the policies we're looking at are based on a you know 100-year-old system of wildlife management. And we're now talking to people who have access to literally all of the information in the world. Uh, is this a bit of an evolution of, of human perception that could lead to policy change? Or am I being a real wishful thinker in reading those numbers? <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I like mm. your wishful thinking. Mm. Um, I think it's good to be, you know, aspirational when we can. I, I look at those figures and see something called an attitude behavior gap, right? So there's lots, and you see this around climate change stuff too, right? Like lots of people believe climate change is real, but um, when it comes to actually uh, doing something that might uh, change the way that we live, that's when that uh, conversation falls apart. Um, so I would say in a, in a sort of, you know, the thing that I was excited about was to see those numbers. And I think that that means that there can, there is a different time for wolves in Canada. I think fundamentally a different time if people are largely having positive, um, largely have positive attitudes towards them. They think they're important ecosystem members. Like these are important things, but then the question becomes, how do you translate that to policy? when, uh, and I know Valley, you, we talked about this a little bit when we were analyzing the survey results. It was kind of like, this is a mismatch. So I'm sure you have things to say about this. But moving people from having these attitudes to actual shifts in policy, I think is a much, a much harder thing to achieve. And in some cases, it's an expensive thing to achieve, right? So, so if we are gonna um, protect wolves and they require lots of landscape to be protected, right so that they can thrive um but we have to make different kinds of decisions around you know natural resource extraction right uh and those are not politically uh palatable policies most of the time particularly in canada exactly yeah and i mean you know i think it's also that you know people may feel this way they're like yeah of course i don't want one animal to be killed in order to save an, another animal, but often it, it ends at that because they don't particularly know where to go next or how to advocate, you know, next. And I think that's where the the role of the fur bearers is really important because you can have those very actionable, practical steps that can move attitude, you know, into behavior and create change as as we're we're moving forward because you know these numbers are really they I'm I'm not surprised that you feel hopeful because they are really strong numbers to consider that you know we we have really changed um the landscape the social landscape of wolves over the last even decade 20 years right multiple years at that um so I think you know having those very actionable steps that folks can take because they feel this way what can they do next is going to be, I think, the crux of where we can really push um, policy forward. It's a great point. And it leads into another, again, this the survey is full of so many interesting, not contradictions, but not necessarily things that match well, I think. Um, so we had uh, three quarters, 77% of Canadians agree wolves are an iconic species. 
Um, and we've talked 68% of people don't want to see them killed. 83% of people think they need to be protected and they're important members of the ecosystem. Then we ask, I would mm-hmm. accept having wolves live. And we ask what proximity they'd be comfortable with. A quarter, 24%, would not accept wolves living any distance from their home. Half of Canadians, 48%, are comfortable with wolves wolves living within 50 kilometers or 20 kilometers, 26 and 22% respectively. And fewer than one in five Canadians, 16%, would accept having wolves living within five kilometers of their home. So despite this, this knowledge and despite this want to see them protected, there is still my analysis, and this, I mean, there's a big guess here, but there's still a lot of fear as well, a lot of discomfort as well surrounding the presence of wolves. And at the same time on that, most Canadians have never actually experienced a wolf. So have you ever seen or heard a wolf in the wild? One in five Canadians uh, have never seen or heard a wolf. 33% have seen or heard a wolf in a zoo or sanctuary. And more than a quarter have seen or heard a wolf in a wilderness area, uh, wilderness area, sorry. Um, and then 21% have seen or heard a wolf in a provincial or national park and 12% near their home. 19% are not sure if what they heard was a wolf, coyote, or a dog, which would be me pretty much every time. Um, because I have heard all of those animals make such remarkable sounds <laughs> over the years that I wouldn't trust my guess. Nonetheless, it, it is, it's another disparity between we want to see them protected. I have not actually experienced them, but I would not be okay with them mm-hmm. living near me. How do we get to that really interesting collection of statements? Do you want to go first, Kelly? Well, you know, I, and I think this is where where my philosophies and, and thoughts around quantitative surveys versus qualitative surveys, I think we can really get more to the nitty gritty within qualitative surveys where you can ask these types of questions, right? So... Um, you know, yeah. do you really do people really understand what 50 kilometers looks like in terms of having wolves live within 50 kilometers of their home? Um, you know, what I, I, it's definitely an interesting question to ask. And I think it gives us a lot of um, food for thought in terms of, you know, what the next steps are and trying to kind of tease apart these survey questions where, we have seen some contradictions and I think it would be really interesting to, to have more conversations with uh, people around, you know, their tolerance levels, because it is very, you know, interesting to think about tolerance in a conceptual way, but, but what happens when you actually put that on the ground, right. And have that happening on the ground, there's, there might be a very, very different, um, answer to those questions at that point um but but yeah i think it it does really give us a lot of interesting data for kind of a a follow-up um questions and follow-ups you know research that we could be doing on on canadian perceptions of wolves and and moving toward what does tolerance actually mean yeah i would just i i love that answer and i would just add to that that i think um to me, it really speaks to the distinction between um, the idea of a wolf and actual wolves. Uh, and I think people like the idea mm-hmm. of a wolf, right? Like, you know, Michael, you opened our conversation by talking about people who, you know, have the wolf shirt and, and you know, lots of people have wolf tattoos yep. and like it's a people feel a real affinity for this animal um, for a whole variety of, of reasons, right? You know, there's there's a lot of kind of 
um, cultural attachments to wolves as mavericks or, you know, what, like whatever it is, right. People have invested wolves yeah. with all sorts of meanings. Um, none of which have to do with actual wolves, right? So the actuality of having a wolf live, you know, 25 kilometers from your home is is a, a, a different kind of question. It's like, what are, what are you willing to tolerate? How much space are you willing to share? And so I think that brings the idea of the wolf down, like Bally was saying, down to the ground, right? And, and, that, and that asks, you know, so, so, you know, what are you willing to risk, right? Because sharing landscape with predators is is inevitably about loss right you know there will be like yeah. we have to figure out how to mitigate loss and we have to be willing to accept a certain degree of loss and that's where i think things get hard for people right so so they might love wolves in a sort of theoretical way um but in a very practical sharing of space way i think that's where, where lots of work needs to be done yeah, and I, I, I think that also leads into another interesting one. Uh, this this survey, everyone, you can read at thefurbears.com. Links are in the show notes. It's a very interesting survey. We've got great infographics and everything. Um, and uh, Research Co., uh, Mario Conseco, did a great job with us. Um, one of the other questions was, in which of the following circumstances would encourage you to advocate for the protection of wolves in Canada? Um, and 42% said decreasing wolf populations, 41% learning more about the ecosystem benefits that wolves provide, and also 41% learning that a wolf has been killed illegally, and 33% seeing a news report about wolf habits being th habitats being threatened, whereas uh, hearing about a wolf suffering in the wild was 30%, learning that there is a, a wolf hunt in their area, 25%, and knowing that their provincial governments kills wolves to protect other species, 21%, seeing or hearing a wolf near their property, 17%, and learning that a wolf has been killed legally, 15%. So it, it, it again speaks, I think, to that, what do you feel and what at what point are you actually going to do something or take action? Um and it does then lead to, I, I mean, this is a personal thing for me, but seeing the decreasing wolf populations as the number one driver, to me, speaks a bit to a misunderstanding of population dynamics and cause and effect and everything within an ecosystem. But I'm curious for how, how the two of you then interpret, again, that's another one of those disparaging difference between I want them to be protected, but what work am I willing to do? And at which point am I willing to do it? is a good step away mm -hmm. from that. Yeah. So yeah, it relates also to who, you know, who do Canadians think should be managing wolves, right? So it's, yes. it's, it's okay if it's the government and it's okay if it's wildlife conservationists that are killing these wolves or, you know, doing this management, the, you know, often lethal management. Um, yet, how much of that is impacting decreasing wolf populations, right? So I think all of this yeah. is very interconnected. Um, and I think it's really hard for Canadians to understand how interconnected everything is. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's really, you know, they may not want to be, oh, if there's a wolf hunt, you know, but it's illegal, and the government's approved it, then that's fine. But if it's illegal, then, you know, that's not fine. And then there's this nature culture divide. It's okay to have a wolf suffer in the wild if it's natural, right? But what is natural at this point? Mm -hmm. Are humans still separate from, you know, wildlife and the ecosystem and, and, 
everything or are we just so you know are we so intertwined now that you know we what does it even mean if we think about wildlife welfare right and if we are impacting their habitats and they're suffering because of that so i think that these circumstances are very intertwined and i think that it'll be really it'd be really interesting to kind of like i said have those more extensive conversations with folks to really try to get at that the way that they're thinking about when they what they're thinking about when they answer these types of surveys what do you think steph yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good answer. And I think, um, Michael, as you pointed out, there's some ways in which the answer to or the answers to this question contradict the ones that come before, right? So so in this mm -hmm. one, people are are willing to, you know, or to some degree are willing to see wolves killed uh, in order to save caribou, for instance. But in a previous question, one that was phrased a little bit differently, um, there was different responses. And so so it's, it's, you know, we were trying to sort of figure out what are the things that get people um, interested in in wolves, in acting for wolves. Um, and I'm not sure we really got the answer there. Um, I do think um, that some of the answers have to relate or do relate to how they're learning about wolves to begin with, right? So this, this question or this answer of, you know, if I saw a news report about wolf habitat being threatened, that would motivate me to action. Um, you know, maybe that's a thing that we need to focus on, right? If if the majority of um, folks are getting their their information about wolves from social media and news media, um, then maybe amplifying, you know, the fact that wolves are having their habitats threatened is is the way to go. And so I think there's some ways in which um, the answers to this question might point us to good advocacy strategies. Uh, to to be able to reach people in in ways that so that their answers might not be so contradictory uh, the next time around. I do think that there is, and and Valley and I have talked about this a little bit too, um, and it's across the literature in, in sort of the human dimensions of wildlife conflict and wolf conflict specifically. There is this like you know there are attitudes and then there are behaviors, and attitudes are not a proxy for behaviors, right? So. Um, you know, measuring attitudes is great. And that's a lot of what we did in this survey, but getting to the actual behavior piece, I think would be the next part of this work. Cause we wanna know what, you know, I can say lots of things, right? I can, I can um, have generally positive feelings towards all manner of things, as long as I don't think it's gonna impact my life. Um, but once it does impact my life, <laughs> then I might have very different behaviors than the attitudes I'm, I'm espousing. And so getting to that question of behavior and behavioral intention, I think, is the next part of, of this work uh, and might make those results um, a little clearer. That's great. What, one of the things that came up, and I'm trying to find it, and now I can't, of course, uh, was in talking about who supports wolves or who has a positive attitude of wolves. Really surprising stat, uh, which of course I can't find on my computer at this exact moment, um, but effectively people who live in rural areas, people who work in agriculture and in, in resources have a higher or a more positive attitude about wolves than people living in urban areas, which is the complete flip of what we are told is true uh, by media, that urbanites are tree huggers who don't know any better and country folk know the real world and what has to get done. But based on that response, it, it's actually swapped in this case. Is, is there any indication as to why that is uh, or guesses at this point? Yeah, we talked about this a lot. 
mm. um, <laughs> because yeah. it is it is a big surprise. Um, and like lots of the studies that come out of the US uh, and Europe as well point to an opposite conclusion, right? The thing that you're saying, like urban people love wolves because they'll never actually have to interact with them. Uh, or if they do, it will be an intentional engagement, right? Like they will have to go out uh, and actively seek um, an interaction with a wolf. Whereas rural people have, you know, have to deal with them all the time. And, and that kind of proximity leads to a decrease in tolerance. And here we're finding something different. And what I wondered, uh, and we talked a little bit about this, is, you know, there's a different history in Canada uh, that we need to pay attention to with relation to wolves. Lots of these studies in other places are taking place in the context of reintroduction or a rebounding yep. population um, in the context of socio-ecological change. And in Canada, wolves have just been here, right? Like we certainly, you know, it was government provincial policy to eliminate them, but that was largely unsuccessful. And we've had stable populations of wolves for quite some time. And so I wondered if there was a kind of degree of familiarity with wolves that breeds tolerance. And I think... Um, um, that needs more work because that's definitely not something that I was like, what? This, this, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, and it was really exciting for me, right? Because I was like, so, so first of all, it kind of dispels this like common wisdom that we have, uh, I think in really positive ways. And also I was like, then we have somewhere to go, right? Like if, if wolf yeah. depredation is problematic, and rural people still like them, then we can do something with that, right? We can figure out ways to make depredation um, less frequent or, uh, you know, ways to compensate for livestock loss, all of those sorts, which some provinces have. Um, but that's a, that's a positive direction, I think. So for me, it was it was pretty exciting to see. I don't know, Valley, I'm sure you have comments too. Yeah, I think um, I agree. And, you know, we, we definitely you know, kind of toss this around a lot and we're like, what does this mean? Um, but yeah, I, I do think that, you know, folks who live in rural and remote communities are probably more likely to encounter wolves or know more about wolves because they do live in a closer proximity than obviously, you know, suburban residents or urban residents who, you know, may have more of a positive, like, association towards wolves in a very like we were saying theoretical way rather than a than a kind of on the ground mm -hmm. way but um or may just not really care about wolves <laughs> you know to, to that extent as well yeah. um but but yeah i think that you know people who live in rural and remote communities you know probably have experiences or know people who have had experiences with wolves that may not have may not be negative may not be as bad as what we think they are experiencing. Um, so, you know, yeah. I, I do think that probably our, our hypothesis, I guess, it, it might be right, um, but it's definitely something to, to, to dig further into because it's a super interesting finding and it definitely contradicts a lot of what's what's out there and and a lot of what we initially kind of went into the survey thinking as well so um yeah so it was really yeah. surprising and interesting for us for sure i i always enjoy when you go into something like this to ask questions and the answers are different than what you expected i know it's a frustration uh particularly in the research community because you want to prove yourself right or you want to have the positive results 
Um, I'm not speaking to you. It's a general. It's the the you, the royal you. Is that a thing? It's a thing now. Um, and uh, when the information comes in that's different, though, I think that's very exciting because, as you said, it creates new questions. It creates new opportunity that wasn't there before. And that is uh, thrilling, really. It's, it's, oh, wow, that's something we can work with. Um, and just, just for uh, reference, Valley found the stat I was talking about. Uh, it was rural and remote community members and urban dwellers in Canada seem to have predominantly positive views, 74% and 71% respectively. Suburban residents seem to have the least positive views towards wolves at 64%. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not a significantly weighted difference, but it is notable, as we said, I think, uh, based on general perceptions that we all had prior to okay. this survey um, and reflective of what we see in media and, and so on. And suburban? folks interest me because they're kind of in this like weird space right like a lot of these suburban areas are they're obviously kind of on the outskirts of the cities are often surrounded by fields um in their you know kind of pockets and and to me i'm wondering if they don't have as many positive attitudes toward wolves because um maybe because of coyotes and that might be they might just be kind of lumping coyotes and wolves in the same space or in the same kind of thought uh bubble because we know that coyotes are you know attacking children in suburban areas um you know there's been a huge influx of this happening uh i think you know because these areas are encroaching obviously on their territories or these suburban communities are encroaching uh coyotes are a lot more adaptable to suburban and urban areas so it, it could be that suburban residents just seem to, you know, they might just be kind of lumping in wolves and coyotes together. And that's something that we would be really interested in exploring as well is that that difference between, yeah. you know, wolves and coyotes. I also think in the suburbs, you're, you're often dealing with a mix of people in that the, the experience can be so varied um, in an urban area like downtown Toronto. You're coming across raccoons, squirrels and rats pretty much. Uh, the second you hit Mississauga, uh, you're far more likely, for people who don't know, Mississauga is the next major city outside of Toronto to the west. Um, and y- y- all of a sudden, there are these open areas, as you talked about, or former green space that's been redeveloped. And uh, to the, the note of uh, coyotes coming to interaction more with folks, a huge part of that, too, is the feeding uh, and our practices and the way we're treating the environments. Um, I go for walks in various natural areas around Hamilton and the number of people I see trying to feed wildlife to connect because they think it's necessary or they want the cute photo or whatever reason it is. There is this desire to connect and then an inability to manage the consequence of it Um, and maybe a lack of understanding ahead of time. Uh, you know, for example, Royal Botanical Gardens in one of their parks uh, where I, I go frequently, they've got signs all over the place. Do not feed the wildlife. Do not feed the animals. It causes harm. It does this. I believe they even have a report showing an invasive plant species was able to take hold because chipmunks were being diverted from their natural food sources. Um, but you still see every time I go there at least one person with a handful of seed or peanuts trying to get a chipmunk to come toward them. Um which, again, I, I understand that want. But when you start considering that's the experience maybe a lot of folks have in the suburbs, and when we you know, read about the coyote issues or raccoon issues or whatever it is, 
we can almost always trace it back to human behavior as the the, the start of it. Um, so I'm very curious too, you know, I think that's a great point of, are they associating wolves and coyotes or even just canids as a whole? Um, again, you know, I, I had a, uh, I've lived with large black and tan dogs for many years. Uh, JJ passed away this, uh, this spring, but I going for walks with her in Hamilton, a very, uh, areas of it, very diverse city. And the number of times I had had to stop because people were very clearly uncomfortable with her there. She was the sweetest dog of all time, and people who were terrified of dogs grew to love her because she was so gentle. But you come from a place outside of Canada where wild roaming dogs are an actual concern or where in within North America where dogs are used to attack marginalized people. There is a, a recorded history of this in North America and around the world. So even just that general cultural uh, stuff, you know, it's, it's easy for me to sit here as a, a white kid from the suburbs and talk about my experience. But if you have a family member who was attacked by a dog in a position of authority, a police dog or a property guard dog or whatever, is that going to then influence the way you see coyotes and wolves and other large animals? Uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a, a rabbit hole, I suppose. But uh, that's why we do the surveys and we ask questions is to try and learn that, as you said. Um, and speaking of that, what what are the sort of next steps? I, we, we've published the survey. It's out there. There's a great article in the conversation. Uh, we're doing the podcast. It's been out in the media. Um, you know, are, are there future steps or are we now looking at how do we use this information to get people to be active? Yeah, so so I'd say there's probably a few things happening. Um, we're uh, in the middle of writing an article um, for an academic audience uh, or an audience of academic and practitioners, wildlife management practitioners that um, presents them with the results. Uh, and. And, and highlights these, as you indicated, these really surprising findings, the findings that don't um, fit the norm in terms of the literature that we consulted to develop the survey. So that's one piece. Um, and we're also, Valley and I, together with Fur Bearers, are developing a new um, project that, that tries to use some of this data to, per, to develop more finely grained surveys, right, to, around both wolves and coyotes. Mm. Um, and that's like a you know a four-year project that we're we're embarking on that would be additional yep. surveys that would be some GIS mapping to figure out how, like you know the 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 ways in which the positive feelings for for wolves and coyotes are associated with the places where they can thrive right because sometimes there is that mismatch mm -hmm. but also actually talking to people and this is the qualitative data piece that Valley was highlighting, you know, people have strong feelings about wild canids because um, there can be ways in which they unsettle certainty about our lives, right? You know, if this, this place is mine, this backyard is mine, and all of a sudden there's a coyote in it, right? Um, that can be an unsettling yeah. experience. I say this as a person who had an outdoor cat um, eaten by a coyote. So, I mean, it's, you know, hmm. She was an, he was an outdoor cat, so it's one of those things that happens. But but there can be an unsettling way in which um, that can shape behavior and, and attitudes, right? So so we want to talk to people in a whole variety of case studies that have been pretty contentious around um, human wild canid um, conflict and figure out ways that you know figure where are the shared values uh, in terms of uh, moving forward with coexistence. So there's lots of exciting stuff I think coming 
coming after this really interesting survey that it was such a great privilege to be part of. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the continued advocacy that I think the fur bearers can engage with through the results of this survey and really kind of having a better understanding of Canadians and how they feel about wolves and and what kind of advocacy strategies that the fur bearers can use now in that is much more informed as well because of this survey um, to be able to you know maybe target those suburban residents with advocacy strategies or you know any of the other um, findings that were illustrated through the survey I, I think that will be a, a really important part of of the actionable steps that are coming out of the survey results as well and you know Steph and I were really super happy to work on this and and we loved working with the fur bearers on this project and um, we're really happy that you all can use the results in a in a positive way and in, in a way that can hopefully um, promote better and stronger and more informed coexistence strategies. I had a great time chatting with Valley and Stephanie and encourage folks to check out their websites, publications, and other work. Links to websites, book sales, and more are available in this week's show notes in your podcast player or at DefenderRadio.com. I'd also like to thank and acknowledge Mario Canseco at Research Co. for his work on the survey project. What do you think about wolves? And did the results of this survey change your views or impressions of other people's views? Let us know by commenting on social media for the Fur Bears or Defender Radio, or email me at DefenderRadio at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for the Fur Bears and Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. Stay strong.